This is the second half of the sermon that I began last week. Uh, the title page is Zeal for God's House Quickened, or a sermon preached before the Assembly of Lords, Commons, and Divines at their solemn fast, July 7th, 1643, in the Abbey Church at Westminster, expressing the eminency of zeal requisite in church reformers by Oliver Bowles, pastor of Sutton in Bedfordshire. It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, Galatians 4.18. There are a few um, Latin phrases that I've, I've omitted. Uh, they're usually translated uh, directly anyways into English in the text. The sermon... Uh, This is the second part of the sermon, beginning on page 23. The second head to be considered is what influence zeal ought to have into reformers. First, zeal will and must do her work thoroughly. It is God's work. Men must not half it. There is danger, lest at least corruptions grow again, unless pulled up by the roots. Experience hath taught what sad persecutions a partial reformation hath made way for. What hope doth such an imperfect proceeding give to the enemies that we will come on them again? Secondly, zeal must and will summon all the powers of soul and body and all that we can prevail with with all to further the work. God delights in men of activity. He cares not for the dull ass to be offered in sacrifice. The neck of it was to be broken. It was an earnest uh, Baruch that had the praise above the rest. The twelve tribes did serve God. What should we be earnest for, if not for God and his cause? Wilt thou be earnest for thy friend, thy prophet, thy pleasures, and cold for thy God? Thirdly, zeal, after she is convinced of the justice of the cause, overlooks all dangers, though never so great. So Caleb, when he heard of the difficulties, resolves, let us go up at once. So Esther, if I perish, I perish. And so St. Paul, what do you, weeping and breaking my heart? It also treads underfoot all allurements, all hope of great things, God doth now as good as say, That which I have planted I will pluck up. And seekest thou great things for thyself? Is it now a time to receive money, and to receive garments, and olive yards, and vineyards, and sheep, and oxen? And fourthly, zeal helps a reformer against the temptation of being alone. This prevails much, especially where the devil and our carnal friends catch us at an advantage, and amplify the discouragement. How have the mighty been here overthrown? Zeal takes notice for the support of herself, of Joshua, his resolution, Choose ye whom ye will, but I and my house will serve the Lord. So of Elias, his complaint, that he was left alone. So of Paul, at my first answering, no man assisted me. Zeal takes notice that numbers begin in one. 
And had there been not been one first, there had never been two. Fifthly, zeal commands perseverance and holding out in the work. Many begin in the spirit, but end in the flesh. How many brave worthies that blossomed fair come on as promising great things, yet have split them, them up upon the rock of an unsound heart, withered away, if not in the end proved false to God and their country. Worthy patriots for a time, but their hearts failing them, they prove such as relinquish their station. He only receives the crown that overcomes. That heat in a reformer that is, that is from heaven will hold out, not that which is merely adventitious, set on work from outward causes. The third head, how much or how zeal must be qualified. First, it must be founded in knowledge. The understanding is the eye of the soul. As metal is dangerous in a blind horse, so zeal, when not directed by judgment well informed, zeal as fire must have light as well as heat. It is hell where there is heat and no light but utter darkness. The mind and so zeal cannot be without good knowledge, cannot be good without knowledge. The Jews' zeal, defective in that, not according to knowledge, this zeal must not be conjectural, probably seeming, such only as we have received from others without examination. Nothing more ordinary than plentiful allegations of Scripture to carry a cause. It matters not how specious and frequent quotations of Scripture there be, as what they prove upon sound trial. You whom God hath betrusted with, his, with this work, take not all for gold that glisters. Second, it must be ordered with wisdom. Zeal must be wary as well as warm. Fire is good, but in a wise man's hands, that will not put it into the thatch. Fire is good in the chimney, but if it catch the rafters of the house, it sets all on fire. In the encounter with vice to be reformed, wisdom will not have a reformer to set upon the reforming that will but enrage vice more. Many mischiefs, men that mean well, are subject to even their good endeavors. But wisdom is profitable to direct. Beware here of that overwary discretion that destroys zeal. Third, it must be tempered with love. Zeal is apt to be harsh. But love lines the yoke, makes it easy to be born. Love takes us off from all bitterness to men's persons. Love and say what you will. Love allows us to be warm, sharp in our reproofs, but not scalding hot. The stomach admits not that which burns the lips, nor the ear that reproof that is contumelous. Love calls upon us as, uh, as to be zealous for the truth, so to make it our work to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.3 What should rend and divide us one from another, whom the Lord hath united with so many bonds, 
as to meet in one God, one Christ, one Spirit, one faith, one baptism, one heaven. Far be it from us on whom the Apostle hath laid so many charges, if any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be of one accord and one mind. Do not our adversaries study to make us make rents among us? Shall we gratify them, weaken ourselves? Do not they cry out that if they can but divide us, they shall conquer us? It is memorable what is reported of Julian that he, he did nourish dissensions among Christians. If zeal be so requisite a grace in him that God calls to be a reformer, then we must give diligence that our zeal may be of the right stamp. As every grace, so zeal may and often hath its counterfeit. As first, if it wants a true light. There be false lights that mislead men over bogs and dangerous places. We are exceeding apt to be misled when prejudiced by men's persons, their learning or holiness, antiquity or novelty as if we were necessarily to receive a thing because ancient or to reject it because new, by a hasty engaging of our judgments before we be able to judge and an unwillingness to retract when we have judged by an undue inquiry. When we rather seek that things may be lawful than whether they be lawful or not, when transported by self conceitedness of our own opinion. It is only the eye salve of the Spirit by the Word must guide us to the law and to the testimony. Secondly, if, if it uh, suffer not itself to be ordered by, wise, uh, by wisdom, this takes in right means as conducing to a right end. There is a, pres- a precipitancy in zeal whereby he that hasteth in matters sinneth. There is a spirit of deliberation and counsel. Consider, consult, then give sentence, then practice. A good cause often miscarries by indiscreet handling. The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them because he knoweth not how to go to the city. Ignorance of the right means tires out men in their endeavors to no purpose. Thirdly, if it easily fall into wrangling and quarrels, love that is and ought to be the order of zeal, suffereth long, beareth all things, endureth all things. Love knows that a little breach will quickly be a great one. It prevents them or speedily makes them up. It gives the water no passage. No, not a little. Zeal for God is tenderly respectful of men's persons, It is wildfire and not zeal that casts firebrands and arrows and deadly words and says, I mean no harm. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. Fourthly, if zeal be right, she will not hate aught of what lies under the command of God. No, not in hoof. It's false zeal that cries, neither mine nor thine, but let it be divided. It makes nothing of small matters. True zeal drives on the work of reformation so as it leaves not the least remnants of Baal, 
removes all high places as considering that great persecutions have been raised upon small matters and that conscience is a, <clears throat> is a tender thing as the eye, the least mote troubles it. Fifthly, if our zeal be only flashy, like those unnatural heats that come and go by flushings, it is not right. We have many that begin well, are hot and eager while in such a company, while they have such props, while carried on by such hopes, while not assaulted with such temptations, while they thought the cause would go, thus they were hot and eager in the work of reformation. But as things alter from without, they alter from within, even to the total remitting of their zeal. <clears throat> Sixthly, if true zeal, as that which hath the cause of God in the eye, then tract of time, multitude of discouragements, falseness of men deserting the cause, strength of oppositions will not tire out a man's spirit. Zeal makes men resolute. Difficulties are but whetstones to their fortitude. It steals men's spirits with an undaunted magnanimity. If zeal be so necessary in a reformer, then we are all first to bless God for that fire of zeal the Lord hath kindled in many of your hearts. <clears throat> right, honorable, and beloved, whereby you have been willing to spend and to be spent for the common cause, we may read your zeal in your unwearied pains, in your denial of yourselves, in matter of profit and pleasure, in the many hazards you have run, even, all, even of all you are, have, or may expect, in the railings and speakings against of men. Have we not cause to be thankful for that zeal of yours, whereby you have taken off unsufferable burdens from our backs, for the many snares from which you have for the discovery of and delivery of us from most dangerous, ruining plots, for the many precious ordinances of Parliament that have issued out for the common good. Have not many unworthy, scandalous, and soul-starving ministers been displaced and good ones placed in their room? Hath not the Lord's day been restored to its pristine sanctification and by burning the book of sports with other commands for the better sanctifying of the day? been vindicated from all those former unsufferable profanations? How have superstitious monuments been defaced, secret idolatries suppressed, seducers of the people been banished the land? For all these and many more everlasting honor shall be upon the head of you, our reformers. Go on and prosper, you noble parliament worthies, do worthily in our Ephrata and be famous in our Bethlehem. So shall the Lord make your names as a savory ointment, crown you with his best blessings, make your families flourish when you are dead and gone. Remember you according to all the good you have done for God's cause, but above all, that you have found out a way 
in these distracted times, wherein religion itself groans under the wantonness of our people, loathing the manna and hunting after novelties. Under the uncouth and irreligious opinions crept in among us, under the bitter divisions that overspread city and country, to call an assembly of able and worthy divines with whom you might advise for the settling of doctrine, worship, and discipline. Oh, that this work had been sooner in hand. Not only have you found such a way, but you have embodied many worthies from among yourselves with us. Have, have not we a double benefit thereby? First you, by this your association, put honor upon us, who should, without you, in the eyes of many carnal men, be, have been very despicable. Secondly, by this happy conjunction, you both help to order us, who are ignorant of the nature of such meetings, and withal, by a seasonable intersposal, may stay divisions among us. Only we have a double suit to you. First, that you would not suffer the work to be either spun out beyond what is meet, or yet hastily flubbered over. Not the first, for that the enemy is sowing tares, and much harm may be done while we are consulting. Errors may enter so deeply that they may prove incurable. Nor yet let it be done negligently. First, for that is it is the Lord's work to the negligent doing whereof belongs a curse. And secondly, in that it is to us of near concernment, all our wealth goes in this bottom. Thirdly, for that many eyes are upon us from abroad, both of our of friends who will praise God for what we do well, and of foes who watch for our halting. Our second suit to you is that when the laws of Christ for the due administration of his ordinances shall be discovered, you would be pleased to account it your greatest honor to submit to them. Christ's government is the only liberty. Thraldom to your lusts is the only true bondage. If you honor God, he will honor you. It is his gospel that hath clothed you with scarlet. Put ornaments of gold upon you. Put every precious stone in your garments. Be not jealous as if Christ's government would eclipse your greatness. Christ's rule and your honors are not incompatible. The Lord Jesus tells us his kingdom is not of this world. He commands that Caesar have his right. It is the style of the Spirit of God that calls you dignities, with respect to which the school allows that outward pomp which magistracy is honored with. And the same Spirit mentions the pomp of Agrippa when he came to sit in judgment without dislike, Acts 25:23. Secondly, as it sets out the unspeakable good of a zealous reformer and what a blessing such a one is, so it points out to us what that is, which of all other doth most unbeseem a reformer, that is the want of zeal, which will render such whom God hath called to this office most odious to him, most abominable to men. Ages present will count themselves unfortunate in such, 
and ages to come will curse such. The opportunities which God afforded them and which they for want of zeal have squandered away will rise up in judgment against them. What might such have done if a spirit of zeal had eaten up their spirits? They might have saved the churches at home and abroad, given Antichrist that blow that should have thrown him as a millstone into the middle of the sea, delivered liberties, laws, and inheritances to posterity, saved city, country, the lives of millions of men. They might have finished the work they began. All succeeding ages might have blessed God for them. Their own works have praised them in the gate. Now, if zeal be wanting, they will undo all the churches of Christ. As much as in them lies, they will uphold tottering Babylon, destroy flourishing England, deliver up their posterity to absolute slavery, make themselves the monuments of shame and ignominy to all that know or shall hear of them. Oh, tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Must it not needs be so, when so necessary a co-requisite of zeal is wanting? For what is a reformer without zeal, but as a body without a soul, a bee without a sting, a soldier without his weapon, a bird without wings, salt without savor? Oh, then, you noble senators who are under God, the chariots and horsemen of our Israel, whatever you part with, part not with your zeal. Let this be your honor and crown, and as a diadem upon your head, that yet you be zealous for your religion, your country, your laws and liberties, Shall you but remit your former zeal a spirit of lukewarmness, which, God forbid, seize upon you, sell truth for peace, you will live and die without honor, and render yourselves and us the most miserable nation under heaven. Let me address myself to you, right reverend and beloved in the Lord. Behold, the Lord hath by, by a providence of his singled us out, among our, our brethren for this great work in hand. Both you and we are desirous this day to lay ourselves low before the Lord, importunately to, to entreat his assistance, that he would be pleased to magnify his power in our weakness. He might have made choice among of many of our brethren every way as able, if not more able than ourselves, but so is his pleasure, and we dare not but be at his dispose. The Lord can work as well by the oaten pipe as by the silver trumpet. Be then exhorted by him who reckons himself the meanest of you all, and who in respect of his many infirmities might well have been dispensed with, with all. Be, I say, exhorted to clothe yourselves out of respect to the work in hand with zeal, as with a cloak, to fall upon the business you are designed to total enemy impetu, you are called out to contend for the truth that was once given to the saints, which have been sealed 
with the blood of martyrs, hath been justified by the learned pens and disputes of all the worthies of this kingdom, without interruption for above this eighty years. But of late, by a cunning, ambitious, and corrupt party, we had almost been cheated of it, even of that truth, which ought to be dearer than our lives. Blessed be our God, who hath given a turn and made a, f- a stop of their proceedings, whose work was as to put out the eyes of the people of the land by ignorance. So to have leavened them with heterodox opinions, and were we not indeed gone almost as far as Rome, gates in a declining way? Our work is a noble work. To be thieves in trust for that saving truth, that pattern of wholesome words which hath been derived to us as from the pure fountain of Scripture, so also by the channel of purer antiquity comes with letters of commendation from the sufferings of God's choicest servants. Such they were whom the world was not worthy of. I beseech you in the bowels of Jesus Christ we may quit ourselves like men. Do our utmost that we may vindicate the truth of God from all the aspersions of evil-minded men. Clear it from all from those ambiguities wherewith ungodly men have perplexed it and do such further work in worship and discipline as shall by God and man be required of us. What would our ancestors, those glorious lights of former times, have given to have had such a price put into their hands as we unworthy ones at this time have? May we not justly think that what opportunity we have is but the effect of the fervent prayers, the many tears, and sad sufferings of our sage and reverend predecessors that are now with the Lord. Are there not already upon us in this work for which we are assembled the eyes of our brethren of the Reformed churches as expecting the issue of this business? Nay, is not the whole nation in expectancy of what this meeting will produce? What manner of persons ought we to be in humbling of our souls before the Lord, crying mightily to him who alone keeps the key of the cabinet, unlocks the secrets of his will, opens the eyes of our understandings? Can we look backward to the many brave, excellent, spirited, and well-parted men who have turned some to Justinian, some to Galen, some to Littleson. Others betaken themselves to a retired privacy, which long ago might have sat in Moses' chair, had there not stood the fiery blade of corruptions in worship and government to keep them out. How many silver trumpets that might have made sweet melody in God's house have been hanged upon the willow trees, and all because this work was not done. How many hundreds of worthy, learned, soul-saving ministers, men excellently fitted for the work, have been driven out of our land. The Lord lay it not to our charge. No small affliction to be put upon the deserting of one's native country, and all those charitates which under God are the life of our life, and further to be cast upon foreign countries 
those sometimes unwholesome for our English bodies, placed among inhuman people, put upon wildernesses, wild beasts, savage people, and unknown necessities, because by reason of our sins this work hath not been yet effected. They saw no hope of it. Oh, the swarms of godly men that like Noah's dove could find no rest for the soles of their feet, being hunted up and down, hurried hither and thither, and wasted with vexatious suits to their utter undoing, who have been in the end forced, they and their whole families, with heavy hearts, and some with poor estates, to bid farewell to dear England, as never to see it again. These would have been content to have lived in a smoky house and a mean condition with freedom of conscience. Yea, they have been put upon it to commit themselves rather to the merciless rage of the tempestuous seas, to a long, tedious, and irksome sea journey, wherewith they were utterly unacquainted, rather than to endure those sad impositions which were charged upon their consciences. And now the Lord puts it into the hands of you, the right honorable that sit at the stern in point of reformation, utterly to remove. What shall I say to those millions of souls who have perished through the negligence, insufficiency, scandalous and corrupt proceedings of that order of men which it is to be hoped, if our iniquities do not hinder, will be rectified by that clericalis disciplina, which learned Booser did so often call for in King Edward VI days. <clears throat> to this end, I once again do humbly beseech you, men, brethren, and fathers, that you would take up the practice of such holy duties as may conduce to this so pious, so necessary a work. And first, let us all stir up in ourselves the gift of prayer, let it be frequent, fervent, and full of faith. You know the efficacy of prayer. It sets God on work, and that with a holy kind of command it hath an omnipotency with it. It never went of any errand and returned empty. Be confident if God do but stir up our hearts in prayer, he will come in and help us in the work. What if we be weak, yet he is strong? What if we want in our own apprehension, those abilities fit for the work. He can lift us up above ourselves and supply us with help. What if we want that quickness of understanding, activity of parts we see in others? Yet if we can but assist and encourage others, God will accept. Only resolve of this, never any man a successful reformer without a spirit of prayer. Elias and Luther tell us so much. To encourage us, God's promise stands sure. Ask of me, and I will show thee great and hidden things which thou knowest not. If thou seekest for wisdom as for silver, if thou criest after knowledge, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of God. We attain not truth only by disputing, but by learning from him who only knows, said one of the ancients. And you know who said that prayer, reading, meditation, temptation, do complete a divine. Secondly, that God may impart to us that way of sincerity in his worship, 
that form of government which may be most according to his will, a savor worth the knowing, and which God refuses not to acquaint them with that fear him. His secret is revealed to such. Let our study be to be doers of his will. If the glass be clean and soil not the clean water that is poured into it, we pour in more. If otherwise, we hold our hands. So the Lord doth with us that be ministers. He will not pour the sweet water of truth, but, in, but into the sanctified heart. If any man, saith the evangelist, will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or no. Many perplexed disputes, much difference there is among brethren, whether this be the form Christ hath left, the distractions are sadly to be lamented. Would we be able to wind ourselves out of these labyrinths of disputes? See the good and right way God would have us to walk in? Take notice of that promise in Ezekiel that the house of Israel shall be ashamed of their iniquities and of all that they have done I will show them the form of the house only here we must beware we dare not offer dare not to offer to God's people such a form as hath not its ground out of plain places of scripture but such only as are typical or allegorical unless the Lord himself make the application it is our error that oft times we do. We are oft times in fancying forms of government like that sect of philosophers who have who having drunk in this principle that all the world was made of numbers, wherever they went, they thought they saw numbers. If the Lord shall be uh, shall but behold us loathing ourselves for our ways that have not been good, disallowing our sins, personal and national, setting our hearts in a right frame, then will he open our understandings that we may know the scripture. Thirdly, that God may so far delight in us as to make us instruments of such glorious work as this is. Let us take all occasions to dispense the holy truths of God to his people. The more we pour out, the more God will pour in. The oil in the cruise increased by pouring out. Bread, wherewith Christ fed his followers, multiplied in the in the basket in the breaking. This, uh, tis true, that this duty hath been looked upon of late as that which had neither form nor beauty. Was it not our shame that even Bellarmine, yea, the Council of Trent itself, should style preaching the chief duty of a bishop? When we suppressed it put gags in the mouths of the preachers, cast all scorn upon it. The Lord be blessed who hath in a degree restored it to its pristine dignity, opened the mouths of that were stopped, encouraged the faithful preachers. Oh, that our sins may not make the shadow of the dial to go back. A main danger here may be from those that will thrust in upon this work that are not fit for it, there will be channels to let out before they be vessels to retain. There is in many an effusion before infusion. Excellently spake that father who said, We cut not green wood to build withal, but we first season it, let it shrink, lest it shrink and deceive us.
Why observe we not that such are not to be admitted to the ministry that are novices? It was the complaint of of Greg Naz, Naz's abbreviation, that though no man could obtain the name, not so much as of a painter, but that he must first have mingled many colors, yet men are, are easily found to fit for the ministry. As the poets uh, feigned the giants, we make them saints one day, and we bid them be wise and learned men another day, which have learned nothing, nor brought anything to the ministry, but only their vel. And now, my dear brethren, whom I love and honor, give me leave to remember you of the prophet Ezekiel's sad threatening, and St. Paul's deep charge, if the watchmen see the sword come and blow not the trumpet, and the people be not warned, their blood will I require at the watchman's hands. Who, saith one of the ancients, so stony, so iron-hearted a man, as whom this scripture would not amaze? And Erasmus says of these words that they are rather thunderbolts than words, such thunderbolts which the judge of all the world will dart against negligent pastors. Blood guilt is a sad, sad sin, but guilt of soul blood is more dreadful and inexpiable. We may have many sins, but beware, we add not this to all the residue. No such remarkable plague fell ever upon any family as upon that of Eli for the wickedness of Hophni and Phinehas, who made people to abhor the offerings of the Lord. The wickedness of Eli, his house, shall not be purged with sacrifice or offering forever. As for St. Paul's deep charge upon Timothy, weigh it thoroughly. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, in that his appearing and in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. At other times it suffices to urge God's name here, the sweet name of the Lord Jesus, that is honey in the mouth, music in the ear. A joyful shout in the heart is pressed. At other times, the name of Jesus Christ suffices here. He sets it on by an argument taken from the glorious and last appearing of Christ, and that to judge the quick and the dead, which will be a day of terror, and such a day wherein Christ will cast it in the teeth of every idle minister. Thou hast not sought the sheep that was lost. Give an account of thy stewardship. How heavy an account will be will that be to those to whom the Lord hath said, Occupy your talents till I come. When the Lord shall call them to reckoning, and every one come and say, Lord, here be the souls thou hast given me, and thou an idle or scandalous minister who hath who hast built with one hand and destroyed with another, hast nothing to offer but a poor lean ignorant, starved flock, when others bring in large harvests, how sad will thy account be. If terror will not affright us, then let the glorious crown that abides every faithful minister work upon us. For such there is laid up a crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8, a crown that withers not. 
1 Peter 5, 4. Enter into thy master's joy. Thou hast been faithful. In a little I will make thee ruler over many. Shall not they that win many souls to God shine as stars forever? Daniel 11.3 Do not all the, con- the contents that are apt to bias us from our work fall short of that eternal weight of glory? Why, consider we not, other men have other ways to go to heaven. Magistrates, if they rule well. Rich men, if they distribute liberally and give to the poor. Private men, by diligence in their calling. But a minister can go no way to heaven but by faithfully attending the Lord's flock. Yea, if it could be so that there be no, uh, that there should be no reward that abides a zealous, faithful teacher, which notwithstanding is surely laid up in heaven, yet the very comfort that arises from the diligent doing of our duties would abundantly recompense all our pains. Is there any joy? Any dance can more cheer up a man's spirit than the comfort of a soul one to Christ? <clears throat> Let other men enjoy their fat and, and rich preferments, hunt after their dignities. Be called, men, be called of men rabbi, as for us. If we can say, here be the children the Lord hath given us, it suffices. Let others say, who will give us such a bishopric, such a deanery, such a rich parsonage? A good minister will say, As the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons. So many converts. Take thou the goods to thyself. Was ever Caesar more glorious in his diadem when he put down whom he would and set up whom he pleased? When he rode in triumph before the whole armies of captives? Then St. Paul, when he glories how he had spread the gospel from Jerusalem and all the circumjacent countries to Illyricum. I have whereof I may glory, and through Jesus, etc. And on the contrary, is there any such wounding cross? Is there any such torturing fury that can so torment and eat up the heart as when an unfaithful minister shall seriously and in cold blood weigh what heaps of souls he hath been a means to plunge forever into the infernal lake. Can his bravery, his luxury, his good companions, his jollity, can the excellency of his parts and learning, his applause in the world, privilege him? And through Jesus, etc., And on the contrary, is there any such wounding cross? Is there any such torturing fury that can so torment and eat up the heart as when an unfaithful minister shall seriously and in cold blood weigh what heaps of souls he hath been 
a means to plunge forever into the infernal lake. Can his bravery, his luxury, his good companions, his jollity, can the excellency of his parts and learning, his applause in the world, privilege him? When the handwriting shall appear on the wall? Surely when a minister shall lie upon his deathbed, nothing can uphold his drooping spirit but the testimony of his conscience that he hath fought a good fight, kept the faith. This alone must be our paradise. Finally, my brethren, why consider we not that God hath engraved our duties upon our names? We are watchmen, shepherds, workmen, builders, the Lord's husbandmen, his soldiers. If we slack or forget our duties, we shall forget our names. Nay, our names will be our accusers, the ground of the Lord's quarrel against us. That which of old was given in charge to a Roman consul, the same should every one of us enforce upon ourselves. I conclude with that of Hiram, read what your name is and be what you are called. And now, beloved, having endeavored to quicken you and myself to the duty of preaching, give me leave to suggest something concerning the manner that it may be done to the best purpose. The Lord requires not only that we preach the word, but so to preach it that our hearers may be brought on to the faith. Paul and Barnabas are said to have taught that multitudes believed. If it be an advantage to a hearer in, in his work, how he hears, is it not so to a preacher how he preaches that our ministry may be successful? First, we must preach zealously. That was the honor of John the Baptist, that he was a burning light. Of St. Paul, that with respect to the idolatry at Athens, his spirit was stirred within him. And so of Apollos it is witnessed that he was fervent in spirit. This zeal must show itself by a holy indignation against sin. It is reported of St. Chrysostom that he reproved sin against God as if he himself had received an injury. It appears also by enlarged desires that the souls of the hearers may be brought to God. And so in St. Paul Romans 9.3, I wish I could wish myself accursed from Christ, etc. This zeal in a preacher will put life and quickness into their expressions. Men of cold and dead spirits, their words die in their mouths and usually beget a coldness in their hearts. Zeal is as a rosin to the strings of the musical instrument without which it makes no sound. Only as the good housewives fire on the hearth is enlarged or lessened according as the family occasions, so according to the nature of the offenses, as great or small should the preacher's zeal be proportioned. Secondly, we must preach compassionately. What else is insinuated in those phrases wherein God is brought in, speaking as putting on the bowels of a man and teaching us so to do? It is said of Christ that he had compassion on the people, for that they were as sheep without a shepherd. And in another place, speaking to uh, Jerusalem, how compassionately doth he express himself 
O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how would I have gathered thee together as a hen gathereth her chickens? No compassion greater than that of the hen to her chicken. How did he, in the foresight of her miseries approaching, weep over her and cry, Oh, that thou hast known. The high priest was therefore to be taken from among men that he might have compassion on them that were ignorant and out of the way. Is there any object in the world that, de- that deserves more pity than a lost soul in the snare of the devil? Blessing itself as if it were well when it is poor, blind, beggarly, and naked, and every hour liable to an insufferable and eternal destruction. Thirdly, we must preach convincingly. First, there must be evidence of reason, convincing the understanding of what we would persuade men to. Man is a reasonable creature, not drawn hither and thither by a thunder and lightning of blustering terms, which at the, at the utmost only startle the affections for a time, but afterwards, for want of a convicted judgment, they return to their old temper. This is that which is called the full assurance of understanding. Second, there is also required a conviction of the conscience, whereby we evidence to men that they be guilty, convincing them that they are the men. There was that, that was it that vexed the priests, that the apostle taxed them in particular as guilty of the blood of Christ. He intends to bring this man's blood upon us. The Jews that stoned Stephen were cut to the heart when he charged them in particular as stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Men will endure much, so be it you let their, their sin alone, or them in the practice of their sins. But if they be apprehensive that your reproofs come home to them, then they are stirred and filled with wrath. When the preacher is manifest in the conscience of the hearers, then they confess that God is in him. They cry out, You prophesy evil to us. As the philosophers say, <clears throat> that all action is by touching, so all doctrine works by particular application. He that delivers himself altogether in generals seldom works upon the people. It is the spreading of the net which is done by particular application which takes the fish. Always provided that we must not decipher men by personal circumstances or distinguishing characters. This will take off the efficacy of our reproof in that the reproved will question the good affection of the reprover as not tendering his good name while he does that openly, which should have been done secretly. Only, if any man's sin or a known circumstance of his sin do discover him, tis not the reprover, but the offender does discover himself. Sins must not be passed over in silence, which declare themselves, because men complain that we particularize. Fourthly, we must preach feelingly according to the nature of the doctrine, as we do so when we preach as sensible in our own hearts of what we would have take impression upon another. The best way to speak to the heart is to speak from the heart. St. Paul, when he would beget in the Corinthians a godly sorrow of heart, he writes unto them out of much affliction and anxiety of spirit with many tears. He that will make men sensible of wrath and damnation 
or make men apprehensive of the greatness of God's love in Christ must manifest the like affections in himself. There are many, saith my author, clamorous preachers, who, declaiming, or rather thundering against other men's faults, carry a great show of zeal, and in the meanwhile are very secure themselves, as if they did only sportingly exercise their throats and sides. But a godly pastor must weep himself, that he may stir up compassion in others and retain more sorrow in himself than he seeks to create in others. Fifthly, when we preach frequently, taking all occasions to dispense the word, the apostle calls it in season and out of season. The people's uncapableness, their slowness to believe, their aptness to be carried away with the torrent of the times, the many ways whereby the work by the word may, dis, may dis, uh, miscarry, all these besides the important nature of the work, as tending to bring men from the power of Satan unto God, from hell to heaven, call for our redoubled pains. How constant and assiduous are merchants and mariners, husbandmen, in their attendance of their earthly affairs, which notwithstanding they ordinarily find as they left them. Should not we be much more industrious in soul work, which we seldom or never return to it, but we find it worse than we left it? Of the Lord's watchmen it is said, They shall not hold their peace all the day nor all the night. Of Christ it is said, He was daily in the temple teaching, Luke 21.37. Of the apostles that they were daily in the temple and from house to house preaching the gospel, Acts 5.42. The diligence of the ancients, as Chrysostom, Basil, Augustine, the custom of the church whereof Eusebius reports ought to be as incitements to us. If fifteen masses in a day was not enough for the popish priests, shall one sermon suffice us, said learned Hooper. Therefore in the morning sow thy seed and in the evening let not thy hand cease. Thou knowest not whether this or that shall prosper. Sixthly, we must preach gravely, so as to preserve the honor of that God whose mouth we are in preaching, of that Christ whose person we represent, of the high nature of the things we treat about. We are to deal with men and that in the presence of God and his holy angels about the recovery of them out of their damnable condition by nature in setting out of the infinite love of Christ in God, or God in Christ, with all the advantages that belong thereto, the soul's salvation or the destruction to all eternity. How ill doth anything that is ludicrous, tending to move laughter, beseem uh, discourses of so high a nature. All our care should be to preserve the spirits of men in a, in a serious temper wherein they are fittest to be wrought upon. All laughter in the church is from the devil, saith Chrysostom. Jocular stories are from, his, from this ground to be banished from the pulpit. A minister must be an example to the people in all gravity. This gravity must appear as in our whole conversation, so especially when we stand betwixt God and the people as his ambassadors. And now, 
having represented to you, my reverend brethren, the important and pressing nature of your work, laid before you those general duties by which you may be fitted and made the successful in the work, set on those duties by quickening motives, what remains but that I commend you to God and the word of his grace, who alone must enable you for it, and without whom all is done, will come to nothing. And for you, our parliamentary worthies, you, as things stand, are under, the, under God, the breath of our nostrils, the light of our eyes, as a nail fastened, as yet in a sure place. If you go on to do the Lord's work with wisdom and courage, God will certainly go along with you. If you refuse or withdraw yourselves, however our eyes shall be to the Lord, but in the eye of man we are but an undone nation. The God of heaven who hath his way in the seas, who alone fashions the heart of the children of men, raise and keep up your spirits, clothe you with zeal, fit you for all encounters, make way for you through all difficulties. So shall our religion, our laws and liberties be preserved to ourselves and transmitted to posterity. And we shall have cause to praise God for you so long as the sun and moon endureth. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. 
It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.